Let's, uh, let's pray before we head into this word this morning. Jesus, we thank you that we can gather in this place and for the freedom that we enjoy to do so. Lord, we pray that you would open our hearts to your word this morning, that we would not just know it, but also live it, that it would shape and form us uh, to grow as your disciples, we ask in your name. Amen. Amen. I wonder, could someone grab me a bottle of water? That would be wonderful. Thanks, Kyle. Appreciate it. Daniel chapter 9. I've, I'm calling this message, How Long, O Lord? Because it really summarizes Daniel's prayer, which is his request from God regarding his people. How long are we going to stay in exile? What are you going to do, God, about the situation that we're facing? And there's three R's in this text that I want to sort of uh, position this, the, the sermon around. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Three R's. The first is Daniel reading. The second is Daniel repenting. And the third is God responding. And the first is Daniel reading. And that's how this starts. In uh, verse 2, chapter 9, verse 2. Daniel perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So this passage kicks off with Daniel reading Israel's scripture. He's reading the scroll of Jeremiah. And we've talked about through our series in Daniel how Daniel has a really deep faith in God, a really rich faith, a, a reservoir of faith. And we've seen that in his excellence in the workplace, how he has been uh, sort of exalted above others because he's just really good at his job. And that, that stems from a desire to serve God in the place he's been planted. But another area that has fostered the life that we see in Daniel is not just his prayer life, which we've talked about as well, but his willingness to be steeped in God's word, not just as a sort of vague interest in religious studies, but he's reading God's word because he has a personal relationship with God. He's interested in knowing who God is, and he's studying God's word and praying in anticipation of what God is going to do. He's aware that God is doing things. He's engaged in learning as a faithful believer in Yahweh, and he knows God's at work in my country, in my people, and in the world. And God is still at work in our world. This is a pretty good stance to have as a Christian. God, you are at work. We want to study your word and know it and live it out in such a way because we are aware that you are doing things and we want to, we want to be part of what you are doing in our world. And in the same way that Daniel seeks the Lord for his nation, there's a call for us as a church to seek the Lord for Canada, to seek God's will for our people in such a time as this. And that's what Daniel does. He lets his reading of God's word prompt him to start praying God's word. His reading and his praying get kind of wrapped up together into one. And so his reading, where he perceives, he understands, okay, 
according to Jeremiah, we're 70 years into this exile. That's how long it's supposed to take. All right, here we go. And so he starts praying, Lord, would you bring that to pass? Would you do what you've said you're going to do? He prays knowing that God invites people, invites him into the work that God wants to do. And that's true of us as well, that God invites us in a participatory way in the work he will do in the world. And whatever that might be, I don't know what that might be per se in your life, but in the place where you've been planted, whether that's at work or at school or caring for a loved one or whatever that might be, God's redemptive purposes are still at work there in that place where God is reaching out to people and calling them to himself or wanting to transform what happens in that workplace or in those relationships or in that area, in that neighborhood or in that society. And God calls us and plants us in those various places to be about his work for his redemptive purposes. God has a role for us to play. And that will look different for each of us, but each of us, as we give our hearts and our lives to Jesus, is invited into that work of living for and serving him. Now think about this as well, because you might think that sounds great, but I don't feel super qualified to do that. I'd rather let someone else kind of do that work. Thanks, Nick. I'm good. Brilliant. Uh, but Daniel isn't a priest. Daniel isn't a pastor. Daniel's actually not even really a prophet. He gets prophetic visions, but he doesn't know what they mean at all. He gets visions about stuff, and he has no clue. He just kind of sits there until someone has to interpret it for him. So in that sense, it's not like he's given an oracle that he can then explain to others. He's merely a government official whom God loves. And we saw that in the passage. Daniel, you're really loved. God really loves you. And so we're going to reveal some of what God is doing and explain that to you. But Daniel is a regular guy. Like I said, not a priest, not a pastor, not even really a prophet. And yet Daniel can pray to God and hear from God. And if Daniel, who's really kind of a regular guy, can hear from the Lord and can represent his country unto God, then so can we. And I think it's worth noting here, too, that Daniel's, a, like I said, he's a government official. I don't know about you, but I've tried to get in touch with government officials, and they're really hard to get in touch with. They seem rather busy, and I don't think they're just putting it on. Well, maybe they are. I don't know. But it's likely that Daniel, who's in high administration, probably has a pretty taxing schedule, right? His day planner is probably full. He gets phone calls all the time, right? And he's likely busy. I think many of us are often quick to say that we're busy, and some of us can see our busyness as something to be proud of. But, but that's not always the case, because our busyness can sometimes hide what's going on in our heart. Sometimes it can just be a distraction. We need to keep busy because we can't slow down to see what's going on inside of us. Or we're... We feel like if we don't stay busy, we're not in control or we're not doing something well enough. And so it's touching on a deeper issue there. Or Sometimes we just can't manage our time well, so we're just busy because we don't know how to actually work, you know. But Daniel, who almost certainly had a really busy schedule and a decent reason for being fairly busy, was not ruled by busyness. 
he still took the time and the energy to pray. And again, this is not a, a, a clergy person, right? This is sort of a lay person with a Monday to Friday kind of job. But he made this a priority in his life, his relationship with God, to read his word, to pray. It was too important not to do. And I'd like that to be a bit of a challenge for us this morning. I don't know what, where exactly you are in your life, and our circumstances are each different, of course. But Daniel took that time to foster a life with God. And I want to encourage each of you to do the same. You can think also of Jesus, who was really busy with ministry and with teaching his disciples and with healing, and yet he took time to go and refresh and replenish and spend time in prayer with his Father. And if Jesus needed that time, who am I to say I don't need it, right? He took the time to read and to pray. I think it's also worth noting that Daniel prays right where he is. He arrives as he, as he is to prayer, we might say. We can come as we are to the place of prayer. We don't need to sort of get things lined up before we can pray. We often say you can come as you are, but it's also worth saying we don't stay as we are. We can show up and come as we are, but we don't stay there. And Daniel's questions about what God's doing and what his part's supposed to be in all of that are answered in some sense. We're going to get to that in a moment. He doesn't stay where he is when he first starts praying. Our prayer is meant to transform us as we hand things over to God. Let him work in our hearts. And you know, that's so true. I can think of many times in my own life where uh, if I was facing a difficult decision or we were worried about something or there was an issue in our lives or in our marriage or with our kids or something, bringing that to God in prayer itself does something for that situation. Even if it seems nothing's really changed on the outside, I've changed in some way because I've, of the posture I've taken towards God allowing him to work in my life and so i can come we come as we are but we don't stay as we are when we enter god's presence i think both of those points the reading and the repenting or the praying uh, are really easily easy to kind of relate to our daily lives i think our, our spiritual formation right as followers of jesus we're called to to be growing in him and to read his word and to obey him that's kind of basic description of following jesus right and that brings us to the third section which is god's response daniel's praying how long O lord lord would you forgive lord would you move lord would you act hear us verse 19 pay attention act do not delay act O lord because your city and your people are called by your name lord because of your faithful character will you do something in our lives and God's plan is revealed through this prophetic word so now Jeremiah had prophesied 70 years of captivity from Judah's downfall to being taken into Babylon which has now become Persia taken into exile 70 years from that downfall to the promise of God's restoration of the land and the people and Daniel's thinking hey uh, we're just about there so that's great. Lord, would you come and do that? And then he gets some really upsetting news. 
was not great. And uh, I, I'm going to read through parts of this section here, but we heard it, Michelle read it very well for us already. Verse 24 says, 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal vision and prophet, and to anoint a most holy place. Now, most, most scholars, and, and for, for years and years, um, it's been interpreted that the weeks uh, are not seven-day weeks. <laughs> that instead of weeks, we have 70 years of weeks going on. And that happens earlier throughout the Bible that where weeks is interpreted as years. So basically, the angel shows up and says, um, it's not 70 years, Daniel. It's actually 490 years is kind of a bummer <laughs> it's like oh thought we were near the end gee thanks appreciate that and there's various views here of how to plot the 490 years right so some see the first 69 weeks weeks of years so the first 400 and almost 490 years as leading up to jesus and then uh jesus death is like the 69th week and then we have just sort of a time frame. It's called, they call it the great parentheses. You just kind of got this time frame between the 69th week and the 70th week, and all of that is the 2,000-plus years of the church. And then when Jesus returns, we get the 70th week. So that's kind of one way that it's plotted out. And others see it as uh, we start the 490 years at when Israel is called to go back back to Judah, uh, back, back and rebuild the temple and start to rebuild the city. And it ends around uh, sometime around Jesus' death and the destruction of the temple in AD 70. So there's different views. And actually, if you were to ask what are some of the most difficult passages in the Bible to interpret well or to exegete well, Daniel 9's up there. It's one of the hardest passages to interpret. And how you interpret it will affect how you read Revelation and how you approach kind of Bible prophecy more generally. And so it's easy, you can imagine then, to bring uh, a lot of one's own kind of presuppositions about what you expect the Bible to be about to the text, right? Well, you will probably read in what you would like to see there, if that's the case. And what I'd like to do is uh, just kind of put put whatever we think necessarily about end time stuff just to the side for a moment and just kind of think about what the text and the, the close background of the text talks about. Because it says some really neat things that do indeed point to Jesus. Let me read again the six things talked about in verse 24. Finish the transgression, make an end of sins, make reconciliation or atonement for iniquity, Bring in everlasting righteousness, seal up vision and prophecy, and anoint uh, a most holy, not the most holy place, but a most holy place. And we'll talk about that in a minute. So remember, Daniel's asking, how long, O Lord? And now we're being told, okay, more than 70 years, more like 490 years, which is our 70 weeks of years, to deal with sin. But what the angel says will happen after the 70 weeks sounds like we're dealing with a lot more than just Judah's idolatry against God, doesn't it? It sounds like a, a fuller dealing 
with sin that God's going to do. The root of sin itself, we might say. So at the end of this exile, it's not just, okay, Israel, you get to go home and we're going to keep on going. No, it sounds like we're dealing with something bigger. Atoning for iniquity. Just their local iniquity or something larger. Now, what else was exile about? Because that's Daniel's question. How long are we going to be in exile? And what's missing because we're not in exile? Well, if you go to 2 Chronicles 36, 20 to 22, I'm not going to turn there. But it says this, that the exiles were sent into Babylon, and this fulfilled the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, until the land enjoyed its Sabbaths. All the days that the land lay desolate, it kept Sabbath to fulfill the 70 years. So again, there's the idea that Israel is gone for 70 years. And interestingly, um, because in their idolatry, they stopped properly upholding Sabbath. Sabbath is the idea that uh, you, you take a break uh, to let the land rest. You take a Sabbath day on the seventh day, but you would also do a seventh year where you would let the land just sort of lie fallow and replenish itself uh, before you kept just sort of producing your agriculture on it. So the land could rejuvenate and enjoy its rest, and that goes back to God in Genesis, and where God creates for six days, the seventh day is a day of rest, and that's sort of repeated in the lives of people and in the land itself. And so when Israel turned against God, their idolatry actually was affecting how they treated the land. And God says, I'm going to let the land have its Sabbaths, that it's due. Leviticus then goes on to describe how every seventh Sabbath year, you get a 50th year. And that 50th year is your year of jubilee. Here's Leviticus 25, verse 8. It says, you shall count seven weeks of years. Here again is our weeks of years idea, going back to Leviticus. Seven times seven, so that the time of the seven weeks of years shall give you 49 years. And you'll consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. When each of you shall return to his property, and each of you shall return to his clan. And note the returning going on in Jubilee. So Sabbath and Jubilee are what Israel, in her idolatry, had now been missing. They had missed out on it. And we're waiting now for a new year of Jubilee, where there will be God's restoration of his land and his people a sense of renewal, of liberty proclaimed, and of slaves freed. That's what Jubilee was also about. Your slaves got to go uh, free. You couldn't have, in, in Israel, you can't have slaves perpetually. Um, eventually, they, they're just set free. It's just built into the system. So now, back to Daniel 9.24, you've got here the question of what happens at the end of the exile, bringing everlasting righteousness, dealing with our sin, and underneath that is this idea of dealing with Sabbath and Jubilee. Now, what else is there? We get in Daniel 9.24 a reference to atoning and anointing a most holy place. And that idea of atoning for iniquity and anointing a holy place goes back to Exodus when Israel is initially consecrating and ordain, uh, ordaining their priests. The priests are consecrated, and the holy place is set apart as holy. And so the end of the exile involves a number of things that sort of need to happen. You have sin getting dealt with. You have Israel going back to the land. You have Sabbath and Jubilee restoration. 
And you also have this idea of perhaps consecrating a new priesthood to come and set up and do what needs to be done and the anointing of a holy temple. So that's lots of Old Testament Israel background stuff going on, right? All kinds of stuff. And underneath all that is basically God setting things right. That's what they're waiting for. And then you get verse 25. Verse 25 says, Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, anointed one means Messiah, right? There shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And so verse 25 introduces this idea that wrapped up in God's restoration of Judah and Israel and wrapped up in this idea of Jubilee and Sabbath and new temple is the coming of an anointed one who's going to set things right. And the text is actually a debated text about where you put the years, which is, of course, also frustrating to people that want to plot out the years precisely because your period could move to a different spot. And I'm not going to get into that, but you may have a footnote in your Bible that says it could be translated this way. And so some run, run with that. It depends how you read it. Some say that from the going out of the word to restore Jerusalem to the coming of the anointed prince are seven year, years of weeks, seven weeks and 62 weeks. So there you go. Brilliant, right? You're like, I don't know how many weeks, years, days, months. What's going on? God, what are you doing? All of this at the end of the day is about God's future hope for Israel and what he's going to do to set things right. And you have this time frame of these 70 weeks, 490 years. And the big question is, how do you plot that out? And you can spend a lifetime plotting that out in different ways. But I want to tell you the most fascinating one, which is really, really, really cool. Here's my favorite one. Way to plot it out. And I think it actually makes the most sense biblically as well and exegetically. There's a few times that decrees were made for Israel to go back to Judah and start to rebuild rebuild the temple, rebuild the city, rebuild the walls. And this happens in Ezra and Nehemiah's day. So they're called to go back, and they're allowed to start to return. And that's, in a sense, the end of the exile, right? Because they've got to go back to their land after being in Babylon. But now we know the end of the exile in God's mind has a lot more to do than just a geographical move. We're talking about atoning for sin, everlasting righteousness. Nah, just moving your carts back the old Jerusalem site doesn't bring about everlasting righteousness, right? That's nah, not quite cutting it. So we know in God's mind the exile's bigger than just, just driving our caravan down to Jerusalem, right? A few times that decree went out, which allowed the Jews to go home and rebuild. And depending on which one you pick as the starting point, if you add 490 years, if you add the 69 weeks, we arrive at AD 27 or AD 33 depending on which decree you pick. And so it's fulfilled either at the onset of Jesus' ministry or, which is just as fitting, at the culmination of Jesus' ministry. And this fits so much with what Jesus himself said and did. Think about what Jesus does right at the beginning of his public ministry where he goes into the synagogue and he reads from Isaiah 61. And what does Isaiah 61 say? The Spirit of the Lord has anointed me. Now think back to Daniel 9. Who's coming? The anointed prince. And Jesus is saying, here's the anointed one just showed up. It's me. And what's going to happen now that the Spirit of the Lord has anointed me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners? Well, hang on. They were, in, 
they when they were in exile, they're in prison. They're imprisoned. Freedom from the prisoners to set the oppressed free. So that's end of exile stuff. But also proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What's that? That's your jubilee. So Jesus shows up and says, I'm the anointed one, and now here's the end of the exile. And I'm going to proclaim the year of Jubilee. And then he sits down, and everyone's watching him going, what? And he goes, and now it's fulfilled in your hearing. And so Jesus takes the Daniel 9 promise and the Daniel 9 prophecy and applies it to himself. And just to make, make it kind of cooler, the 490 years actually works whether you set it at one decree so it lands with Jesus beginning his ministry or you set it at another decree and it ends with the culmination at the cross where he really does deal with atoning for iniquity and he really does deal with ending our sins, right? And he really does deal with ending sacrifice. Either way, it works out, it works out really well, which is really, really cool. Daniel had prayed, when will the exile end? And it's like God says, well, I'll deal. I'll deal with the exile into Babylon. You'll go back. You'll go back. But I'm also going to deal with the greater exile of all humanity. You are exiled into sin and death, and I'm going to make a way for all the world to come back home to me. And I'm going to do that by bringing ultimate freedom and ultimate jubilee and an ultimate Sabbath through the death and resurrection of my son. And now you'll be free from exile because I've dealt with the root of sin and the power of sin at its core. And now that, that punishment for sin is gone. Jesus has taken that. And you can enter into new life and resurrection and forgiveness because of the anointed Messiah. When you think about the transfiguration, Jesus is talking to Elijah and Moses, and it says they talk about his departure to Jerusalem. The, the other way you can translate that is they talk about his exodus, which is so fitting because all of this is about Jesus bringing a new exodus out of exile, out of a new kind of Egypt, the Egypt in our hearts, to bring us out of Egypt again into new life. And that's what Moses and Elijah know Jesus is doing. Jesus says, here we go. Through my death and resurrection, God's going to restore and bring everlasting righteousness. You might say, well, what about the, the anointing of the holy place? Is that about the temple ground? What's Jesus say about the temple? He says he's the temple. So much so that they get upset with him when he says, uh, take this thing down in three days, it'll rise again. And they go, you're going to rebuild the temple in three days? Right? Because they don't get it. Jesus says, no, it's about me. Because the temple's about housing the presence of Yahweh. And where's the presence of Yahweh? It's in him. He's the true temple. And so where's the anointing of a most holy place, a temple? It's in Jesus himself. And so when you have Mary show up behind him and anointing his feet, and others coming to anoint him uh, after, his, after his death, you're getting the anointing of the new temple. Because you're getting a, an acknowledgement of the presence of God among Verses 26 and 27 develop further what's to happen after those 70 weeks. And you get this back and forth structure between the Messiah and the city. 
Verse 25, you get the coming of the Messiah at the beginning of the verse. And then the second half of verse 25, you have Jerusalem restored and rebuilt. And then the first half of verse 26, you have the Messiah cut off without any help. And then the second half of verse 26, you have the people of an evil prince are going to come against the city. And then beginning of verse 27, it says he will have success with the covenant of many and will cause sacrifice and offering to cease forever. What's that sound like, right? And then verse 27, second half, 27b, you get the side of abominations and desolation will be until the end. And so you have this back and forth between the Messiah and the city. And if you look at verse 27, it says, He'll make a strong covenant with many for one week, and for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And there's a big question here about who's the he referred to. And if you're into grammar, it's a question of uh, who belongs to the pronoun. We've got a lot of talk about pronouns lately, right? It's a question of who does the he belong to, the he in verse 27. And some think it's, well, that's the Antichrist, right? He's making a covenant with the Jews or something at the end of the world, and he's stopping them from offering sacrifices. Um, yep, that could be. But that doesn't make sense grammatically. The he in verse 27 would have to refer to a person who's already been described. And we haven't had the prince described in this way. The only person that the he refers to is actually the Messiah. And it also fits with the poetic structure of the text as well. And so uh, it's kind of grammatically incorrect to think that that's the Antichrist. It's more likely Jesus himself. And so the one making the covenant, uh, making a strong covenant with many, is Jesus. Which, of course, makes perfect sense, because what's he come to do? He's making, he's reestablishing a covenant with us, with Israel, and with his church. That's what he's come to do. And that makes sense for ending the sacrifices as well, because what happens after his death and resurrection? You don't need animal sacrifice anymore. That's what the book of Hebrews is all about. You don't need animal sacrifice. That's done. That's done with. Of course, even the phrase makes a strong covenant uh, is actually this idea of winning through struggle and victory. And that's what Jesus is doing at the cross. And you might notice also the Messiah makes a covenant with many for one week, yet in the midst of the week he's cut off. Um, Well, some would say, well, what's halfway through seven years? It's three and a half, and when's the crucifixion happen? Jesus has about three and a half years of ministry before he's suddenly cut off. But in that time, makes a new covenant with many. And so again, referring it back to Jesus' own ministry and him bringing about uh, the end of the offering and the sacrifice. Meanwhile, Jerusalem does get destroyed again. It gets destroyed a few times. It gets destroyed again in AD 70 by Rome. They finally have enough and they take it out. And along the way, there's, there's gross stuff that's done in the temple and weird sacrifices made. And so there's, there's desolation made in the temple before it's destroyed in AD 70. And that's it. So rather, in the end, Israel's new exodus out of captivity and exile, the 70 weeks, takes us really well to Jesus the return of the Jews initially, but Jesus himself now coming to bring about a true exile 
at the beginning of his ministry as the anointed Messiah, proclaiming the year of Jubilee. And he's cut off suddenly at the cross, but through his resurrection, he does establish a covenant with those who believe. And he does actually reconstitute a new priesthood with 12 disciples representing the 12 tribes. And he atones for our sin, and he pays for our iniquity. He said, great, brilliant. Thanks for the Bible study. That was great. What on earth does that have to do with me today? Because now I'm going to go home and think about 70 weeks and 7 weeks and 69 weeks and how many weeks is a year. What can we, what can we take away from this? Because it's really easy to get lost in the details. It, it is. And so what's the crucial message? Crucial message is this. Crucial message. Uh, God has an allotted time for when he's going to do his stuff. He has the time in mind for these sorts of events, the big events in the world. He's got it straightened out. And as his people, we are called to trust in him and to acknowledge his goodness and to remember that we can endure even if things get difficult in our time. That God's got us. He's got his world. He's got his church. Jesus has come. And our hope and our victory is found in him. And so whether things are good and we thank God for that or whether things get difficult and we're called to endure patiently, we can rest knowing God has got this. And we can trust in him. And I think we can take that message to heart really well because whatever we face, whatever decisions you might have to be making in your own life, we're all called to be obedient to God and to trust in his faithful character and to endure when we face real struggles. And we're on this side of the cross, and so we can celebrate the joy and the victory of Jesus and all that imagery of being in exile and being called out of exile into new life applies to each of us. If you've come to faith in Jesus, he's taken you out of death and into life. There's jubilee waiting. There's Sabbath waiting. And you can come home to God again by putting your faith and hope in him. And so there's a call for us to invite people. Stop wandering around in Babylon on your own. But to come back to the one who loves you. And come to Jesus. So Daniel is a student of God's word. He's a prayerful person. He repents for his nation, for their sin. And we hear God's response that God will bring and has brought about the end of exile. And he's done it through Jesus. And because of that, we can trust that he's alive today to bring each and every one who will come into new faith and forgiveness and life. Amen? Amen. Let's pray to that end. Lord, we thank you that uh, while there's times that your word is very complex and we recognize we're reading an ancient text and there's a lot of thought that can be put into this, sometimes, Lord, we need to come back to the central theme of what it's about. And here we find that so much of Daniel's hoping, you had already taken and had broadened to be much more than just heading home but that, Lord, you wanted to deal with the root cause of issue in Israel. You wanted to deal with the sin itself, with our own brokenness, and to atone for the punishment for sin, which is death. 
And so, Jesus, I thank you that today we're reminded of that great hope, that you had the perfect timing in mind to deal with sin and to come, Jesus, and to bring about your forgiveness and your salvation. And Lord, if you had that perfect timing in mind for Israel and for Daniel, how much more can we trust you with the timing of things in our lives? Sometimes, Jesus, we struggle with knowing where we're going or what we're doing, what decisions we need to make. But if anything, Lord, this passage reminds us that you have got us and we can really trust in you. And Lord, it also opens us up to further think about all that it means that we follow you. That there's jubilee for us. That there's joy and wholeness. Some of us need to hear that this morning. That there's Sabbath for us. That there's rest and rejuvenation. And some of us need to hear that this morning. Lord, that you bring us out of exile. That we are lost and alone and broken. But you make us into a community. And you bring us home where there's life and wholeness. And some of us need to hear that this morning. Lord, you've come to deal with our sin, and some of us feel burdened down with the shame and the guilt of things we've done in our lives, and we can't seem to let go of it. Lord, we want to hear your word today that says you have brought freedom to the captives, that you've set the oppressed free, that you proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And Lord, that you speak life and holiness over us when we feel broken and ashamed. Some of us need to hear that today. Lord, some of us need to hear and think about Daniel's own heart, the way in which he took time, even in the busyness of his life, to be immersed in your word and to pray and to seek you, Lord, on behalf of his land and his people. And some here, Lord, you are calling to be prayer warriors. Lord, that you're raising up people to pray on behalf of Canada, to gather, Lord, the sins of our nation and, and repent of them before you. And Lord, some of us need to hear that call today, to take the time, Lord, to, to be in your presence and to seek your face for us. Lord, at the end of this, we could get lost in details and, and various thoughts about the end times. And those are good discussions to have. But Lord, ultimately, this, this text is about you and everything that you've done to set us free. So Lord, I pray that for those who know you and are walking with you, would you give us a fresh appreciation for all you've done for us? Whether that's bringing joy or healing or life or freedom, may we live that out today. And Lord, if there's any here that don't know you, this is a, a heavy text this morning. But Lord, I pray that for those that are here who are seeking and they're not sure what you're about, Lord, would you open their hearts today to hear the message that you have come to save sinners, that you've come to set us free, that you've come to deal with sin and death and to bring us into life. Some of us, Lord, feel like we are in exile. We've been sent away. Lord, you're welcoming us home. And so I pray today that, Lord, for all of us, if we've been trying on our own to live apart from you, that we would hear the message of Daniel 9 today, that you are calling us back to yourself. And you've made that possible through Jesus. So, Lord, we thank you. We love you. Would you uh, bring that truth to bear in our lives? 
may it settle deep in our bones just how much you love us and love your people that you're calling to yourself. With the words you taught us, we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand? Love to speak benediction over you before you go. Also wanted to say big thank you to those that helped out with our, our barbecue outreach on Saturday. I talked to Brian. He said we had over 140 come through uh, that had burger or something to eat and i know a number of people had prayer as well so thanks for being part of that and appreciate your guys hearts to be uh, engaged with our community it's, it's great to see children of god who are loved and forgiven through our lord jesus christ may you hear god's word that you are no longer in exile that you are welcomed home and forgiven because of jesus and the cross and may you rest knowing that God has good timing for the things that he will do in your life. And that you can rest in the joy and the freedom that he has brought for you through his cross and through the resurrection. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Spirit be with you all. Amen. Amen. It is great to see a full house. Wow. Great to see you. If you want prayer this morning, I'd love to pray with you. And if you need to go, bless you and uh, know that you are loved. We'll see you next week.